I was desperate, you know, at the time I was 17, 18, unemployed, you know, and I was desperate to, you know, to get a break. And I knew that if I did get a try, I would, you know, I would grab the chance. I think it was always going to be boxing. I mean, I stepped into the gym as a 10 or 11-year-old. Boxing just took hold of my heart straight away. I love everything about the sport of boxing. Hello, I'm Marie Crow, and this is We Become Heroes, the RTE sport podcast that explores how elite athletes and sports people reach the top of their game and the lessons that they learned along the way. My guest today is Olympic silver medalist and former world champion, Sonia O'Sullivan. Sonia, thanks so much for coming on. I know you're in Australia, and I imagine it's very different to how it is in Ireland right now. It is. It's, it's really different. Like We even had a bit of a mini fun run yesterday. Um, it was kind of organized a bit impromptu, but um, for St. Patrick's Day. And um, yeah, there was about 100 Irish people turned up, which was amazing. So it was really good fun. <laughs> it must be great to actually be living a bit of normality, seeing a bit of sports, seeing some crowds and and just not really feeling like we're still in a pandemic. Yeah, it definitely, it seems to have kind of, you know, I suppose I was away last year when Melbourne was in lockdown. So I missed out all that. I was in Ireland. And then when I came back, you know, it was a gradual reopening, but now it seems like things are pretty much back to normal. And tonight is the first um, AFL game in Melbourne, you know, in nearly a year, I think. Um, and there's crowds going into the stadium. So there's a lot of excitement about that. So I think people are really, you know, starting to appreciate everything that probably a lot of people took for granted. Um, you know, up until last year. Yeah, that's for sure. And then just in terms of training, Sonia, then like, what are you doing? Um, what are you doing at the moment? Just like keeping fit and running wise? Yeah, well, I'm, I'm lucky at the moment, actually, because I've managed to get myself to a point where I can run most days. And um, I follow a little bit of a training program, which is great because it just means that you can get up in the morning and you don't have to think about what you're going to do. There's always, there's a plan in place um so yeah I run probably five or six days a week and vary it up with the distance and the speed and you know just I was mainly just aiming to you know keep myself reasonably fit and uh you know run at a decent pace does does the discipline ever wane in any bit like are you always kind of on track with what you want to do and what you want to achieve yeah, I mean, I think, you know, in a way, as you get older, I think you become more disciplined. Like I probably would be much more disciplined now than I was as an athlete. And maybe because I have to be, <laughs> if I'm not, you know, it just goes out the window. Um, but also, I think you kind of realize that you actually like that type of lifestyle and just having the structure and routine in your day. Um, you know, I think when I was training at a high level, I didn't realize how important it was. I just did it because it came naturally to me. And, you know, I think that's probably one of the things looking back, if I, it was, you know, if I'd known how important it was to maintain the, you know, strict structure, routine, diligence, you know, all the time, then, um, you know, I think I maybe could have got a bit more out of myself. Um, but you know, everybody probably thinks that. <laughs> do you do you think about that a lot? Um, oh no, not at all. No, no. I think um, I kind of I I suppose to be able to run at the level I do now and to you know maintain a level of fitness that I do now. It took me to kind of um, I suppose accept you know that things are different and to stop 
comparing and looking back at what I used to do. So, you know, what I do now is, you know, in many ways, it's unrelated to what I used to do. And you do have to detach yourself from that, I think. And, you know, I tried to go and do some swimming and some cycling and, you know, dabbled a little bit in triathlon. But, you know, it always comes back to what you enjoy the most. And, you know, it just happens to be what I was the best at. Um, but I think when you, I suppose, realize that you actually enjoy it as well as being good at it, then that's when you can carry it forward, you know, for, you know, throughout your life. Are you as competitive now as you always were when you were when you were competing? Uh, not really, no. No, I mean, I do like to, you know, I, I mean, I go to, to the track, which is kind of new for me. For, so for the past year, for the whole year, I would say I've gone and run on the track at least once every week. And mainly because I enjoy it and I like, you know, the control that you have on the track and the pace judgment and things like that. Um, and it took me a while to kind of realize that it's okay to do that. You know, that, you know, it's not only for fast runners, it's actually for everybody. And and that's helped me then when I, you know, coach and mentor other people to kind of share those thoughts with them. And, you know, because people do tend to think, you know, running on the track is, you know, for people who run fast. But it's actually a really nice place to run. The surface is perfect and you can, you know, measure exactly how far and how fast you're going. I know if I saw you running on the track now here at home, I would actually stop what I was doing just to to watch you. Do you, do you get that in Australia? Uh, not really, no. No, not very much, no. It, it's quite different actually here. So you can, a few of the guys yesterday were asking me, you know, if I, you know, do I fly under the radar here? And I, and I do a lot, you know, I can definitely get away with a lot here. Um, mind you, I signed up to the gym there recently. Um, I decided, you know, I should get a bit more regular gym in my life because it's good for you. It's good, you know, for your, your health and your fitness you know, when you're, when you're getting a bit older and, um, I turned up at the gym and this other lady is there and, you know, the instructor went to introduce her to me and she goes, Oh, you don't need to introduce her. I know exactly who she is. <laughs> and I was like, I'm just coming in here quietly now and you've blown my cover. <laughs> you know, everyone will be checking your times now and see what you, what you're up to. So, um, I have some questions that I want to ask you about your career, Sonia, and I'm going to just start with, um, back when you were young and, what was your very earliest first memory of sport? Um, I, I think it was probably my dad, um, you know, playing soccer. He was a goalkeeper for Cove Ramblers. And so, you know, my earliest memory is him going training. And, you know, you, there were certain days that he went training and then obviously played the game on Sunday. And we would often go up and watch him and, you know, stand behind the goals and you know, for <laughs> it probably wasn't advisable for young kids because there was a there was a, there was plenty of words came out of his mouth that we probably shouldn't have been uh, <laughs> hearing. Um, but um, yeah, no, that was I suppose my first introduction to sport was seeing my dad take part in sport and you know watching him I suppose get ready to go training and you know coming back and cleaning his gear and his shoes after training and you know just all those extra little bits that went with it that you kind of started to see that it's not just about playing, but being prepared as well and looking after, you know, your, your gear and your shoes and stuff. 
I love hearing stories like that because you know sometimes when I interview people I'll ask them you know what kind of you know you're 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 going off training and you have family and you're making sacrifices and this one footballer said to me once he was like but they're seeing me do that you know they're seeing me get up off the couch in the evening get my bag go out and do my training isn't that a great um isn't that a great message to send them that it's important to do that and when you hear you say that it just reminds me that you know there are other sides to to sport it's not about just the sacrifice of what you're missing out it's the example that you're setting as well and and the uh the memories that you're making for your children so just to you Sonia then when did you first realize that you were you were talented um I, I really don't think I ever thought about that I don't think that word kind of was something I ever came across so I think I realized that I enjoyed racing and then winning and so then when I think about it now, I'm not sure did I actually enjoy the running part of it or did I enjoy the winning part of it? Um, so, you know, I think it all evolves over time. And um, I suppose when uh, talent kind of came into it probably was when I started to train with other people. And when I went to America, to Villanova University, and if I had any setbacks, so if I got injured and had time out and then came back running, that I actually could get back into racing quite quickly. And I remember some of my teammates, you know, would be thinking, but you haven't been running for all these weeks and now you can beat me. How is that? And, you know, I didn't understand it at the time, but, you know, eventually you do realize that you've got something a bit extra. And I think in running, you know, all runners train hard um, to get to the high levels that they get to. but the talent shines true, I think, when you run a race and you kind of get yourself to another level that you never get to in training. So, like, I never trained at the level I raced at. Um, so it was always a surprise to me when I went out and raced. And I always believed there was always this bonus time that I gained in the last lap. So you'd be going around at a certain pace and then you could run the last lap 10 seconds quicker. So... Uh -huh. You just got that bonus kind of, um, I suppose, the competitiveness that you get, you know, when when the finish line is in sight. And when you're in that situation and you know that famous kick that you have and that's about to come, are you thinking, can, can you enjoy that in the moment? Or are you just so focused on the finish line? Um, it, it depends on the race, really. I mean, there's different levels of race. In some races, you would definitely, you know, you'd know you had a good handle on it you know, early on, you'd have weighed up your competitors and, and you'd know where you stood in the field. And then I suppose as the stakes get higher, when you go to, you know, world championships and Olympics and European championships, then, you know, you do get a little bit nervous and you start to then have, you know, respect for the other athletes as well. And I think when you have that, then, you know, you know that everybody's come prepared. Um, so you have to be even more prepared. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it's it's one of those things you just kind of adjust to it as you're going along and depending on the type of race. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think you have to be adaptable. And I think I was quite adaptable in the races. And, you know, a lot of it was about being being patient and and being calm as well and you know not getting too panicked by stuff and i think i was more able to manage and control that in myself 
when I knew I had all the work done and I wasn't missing anything, you know, if I hadn't missed any training or, you know, I'd had really good, solid preparation, then, you know, you're much more confident and the belief that you have in yourself just grows and increases as the time goes on. So obviously athletics is, is your sport, but when you were like watching your dad playing football and like, obviously there's lots of different sports um, available to youngsters in Cork. What was there anything else that you were into? Uh, Not really. No, no. I mean, I tried obviously in school, I, you know, was up for anything in PE and I was always, you know, that was my favorite class, you know, any excuse to go out there and to, to play games and to be competitive. And, um, yeah, I mean, I think I used to get, you know, my friends used to say I was, I was the, you know, the pet of the, the PE teacher because I, I, I would do anything he said. <laughs> and I never had any like fears or any, anything at all. I was up for it. Um, so I couldn't do any wrong there. Um, but, you yeah, know, I tried basketball because I was pretty tall, but I wasn't very good. I just wasn't very coordinated at other sports. And, you know, I tried to play a little bit of camogie because it looked like fun when I was running around laps of the field and I could see the girls in school training together. I thought, oh, I'd like to try that. But again, I don't know. I think you're either an individual athlete or a team player. I think that we're very different um, depending which route that you go down. And I think I'm definitely a very individual and, you know, able to train hard myself and even though sometimes you might get to the point where you wish you could have more people around you or share the I suppose the the hard work with others um you know when things are going right and you're in a bit of a flow then you're very happy to just be doing you know everything yourself and then when things aren't going right you'll probably only have yourself to blame as well which is can be difficult I'd say <laughs> yeah. You, you want to lay the blame somewhere else then or <laughs> offload a bit of the pressure. So what about heroes then, like uh, sporting heroes when you were young? Um, so when I was really young, like Cove was very much a soccer town. And um, so, you know, we were just, I suppose, watching the Cove Ramblers. And then um, my dad was always a big Man United fan and I was a Liverpool fan. So, you know, I... I can remember having a poster of, you know, the Liverpool team on my wall and I knew every single player <laughs> and all about them. You know, people like Kenny Dalglish and Graham Sooners and, you know, all these people from the 80s. And so they must have been winning a lot back then that, you know, they were probably the most popular team out there. And it was a time when, you know, your school bag was a, a premiership team bag. Um so I had my Liverpool bag and you did all your writing and stuff all over it. So, you know, I think that was just probably a trend and a phase that I went through right, more than being a sport hero. Um, but, you know, it was, I, I suppose I wasn't really, I was into music as well. So there would have been, I suppose it would have been a bit more into pop stars and stuff than <laughs> um, sports stars. So, yeah, I mean, it, it's a little bit different back then than now, I think, whereas now people, the heroes are presented to them and you can find out more about them and learn more about them and relate more to them. Um, and particularly for girls' sport, I think there are so many different girls' sports out there now and athletes who take part in so many different sports 
um, that girls have the opportunity to look up to them and to, you know, choose what sports they'd like to try and then maybe which ones they really like. When I was young, and I know there was loads of people, Sonia, like we just had you. Like it was amazing. Like I think of the summer of 95 and Claire won the All-Ireland hurling and then there was you. And like just talking about now and like the access and, and what you can see, like we just lived and breathed for you, which is did you know at the time that that that, that was even going on? Uh, not really, no, I, I really didn't. And it's only looking back now. In many ways, I kind of wish I had known it because then, you know, I suppose I would have seen then that there was more to just me going out and running and winning races, you know, that there was another area that, you know, I was useful for. It wasn't just all about the practicalities of, of winning or losing a race. Um, but yeah, I mean, I suppose in a way uh, I was lucky and I suppose the people who looked up to me were lucky in that athletics was such a big sport in the 90s and it was on TV a lot. And so it was pretty high profile, got a lot of coverage in the newspaper. And then, you know, they were the only mediums that people had. So everybody was looking and reading and watching the same things. So then they could all relate to it all. Whereas now everybody's looking at so many different things and so many different streams and you know you can watch every obscure sport in the world live but then you don't know who else is watching it so it's not like you walk down the street and meet somebody who was watching the same thing as you last night so I think that probably helped you know for me to have such a high profile and for people to you know I suppose give me so much support and you know be you know I suppose recall you know what I did back then was there like you you were the you know you were the the poster girl for for women's sports you were the poster girl for sport for Ireland on the international stage was it difficult to be in that kind of that fishbowl that that bubble and and have all that focus on you as as a young woman um i suppose there there was always certain times when it would be difficult but generally it was fine because i traveled a lot and i was always away you know so i would place myself in places like when I went to college in America and then you were nearly invisible when I was over there you know you kind of had that kind of growing and developing stage for four years um, but then around the time of the 92 Olympics when I finished fourth that was the last time that I actually came home to Ireland and had my summer in Ireland where I was you know going up to the track in Cork to train and, you know, running around the streets of Cove, you know, after the Olympics, it all became about, you know, the convenience of travel from London. And so I based myself out of London, um, in southwest London, close to the, the parks where you could train over there and, and with some other athletes as well. So it was kind of opening my eyes to a bigger world and, you know, meeting up with people who were doing the same thing as me. And luckily for me at the time, a lot of those people were Irish and people like Marcus O'Sullivan, Frank O'Mara, Paul Donovan. You know, we we stayed in London together. We trained together. We traveled together. And so they were a huge support to me. And then it wasn't all about, you know, just going to races and running the race. There was a bit of an adventure, you know, around every trip that we did um, that it was kind of exciting and you know, it was, it was, there was a lot of fun involved as well as, I mean, I think, you know, running the races, winning the races, 
probably helped that and that it helped me, but it also helped them um, to give, you know, such a positive energy to, to the group of Irish people who were traveling around Europe. It sounds like you had a good balance of living your life and then excelling as well and putting in the work that you needed to do to excel, which not everybody has. Yeah, I mean, there was definitely, I mean, Frank was great because, you know, if we went to a new city, he wanted to show us, you know, there was more to the city than the track, the airport and, and the hotel. So there was always a bit of an adventure, you know, the day after the race or, you know, the night before the race, we would always go for a bit of a walk out down the streets and, you know, have a chat. And then you'd meet other athletes from different countries and, you know, it was, it was quite a social time, um, which I think, you know, is probably a lot different now as well because, you know, athletes are so connected kind of digitally, I suppose, that, you know, it it's quite different. I remember when I first went to these track meets and, you know, you would go down to the dining hall in the hotel and you didn't know if there was going to be someone down there that you knew or not. And you kind of peek your head in the door and look around and hope there was someone there that you knew. And if there wasn't, you might go out and walk a lap and come back again <laughs> because, you know, you just needed to have the comfort of knowing somebody when you walked into the room. Cause a lot of these rooms were, you know, full of the best athletes in the world. So it could be quite an intimidating, intimidating place to, to go. I'd say so. So Sonia, college, obviously, when you when you got there was a big moment just in terms of recognizing that you had something. But was there a moment where you thought, OK, like I am up there with the best in the world? Uh, I think that moment was in Barcelona at the Olympics. So when I finished fourth in the Olympics in Barcelona, I think that was the first time that, you know, after that race, when I continued on and ran more races on the circuit and I could look at a start sheet and then start to put myself in the top three and see that I could be competitive. Um, so I definitely gained a lot of experience in that Olympics, but then also a lot of belief and confidence in myself. Um, and then to be able to give them the opportunity to races and to come up against the girls who beat me in the Olympics and, you know, beat each one of them before the end of the season. Um, you know, to be able to go into the winter with that knowledge that if I trained hard and came out, you know, that I would be competitive again the following year. And, you know, it was always about improving and getting better and, you know, just being able to, I suppose, see that fourth place in the Olympics as a positive, you know, as much as a disappointment of not getting an Olympic medal, but as a positive that, you know, I was kind of stepped up to the next level and, and belonged you know, at, at the highest level of the sport. Must have been a pretty amazing, amazing feeling. And then for things to to push on and to go well. But like I've heard you say so many times, Sonia, you're an emotional athlete. And I think like because we were watching you so much, we almost kind of felt a lot of what you were going through as well. So there was highs and there were lows as well. And like all athletes have to overcome setbacks for you. What was the biggest one in your career, do you think? The biggest setback? Yeah. You think? Um, so I, I think I had a few down through the years. I mean, I had quite a, a big setback when I was in college in America. Um, so I had quite a few injuries there that I had to get through those and kind of come out the other side. Um, and I think there was always 
a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel. Every time I was injured, I was able to get myself back running again. Um, and then it just took a while to, you know, I suppose not try and come back too quickly and to be patient um, rather than always rushing back and, you know, wanting to be in, in the action. Um, but yeah, I mean, there, I suppose there was kind of hurdles and obstacles along the way rather than setbacks. I think, you know, the, the obstacles and challenges that I faced, you know, they were difficulties, but they weren't, they were never insurmountable. Like I just had to work it out. Um, I think the hardest part for me was that I, a lot of the time I had to work it out myself. And, you know, I, I spent a lot of time by myself in London, particularly in like around 96 and, you know, coming out of that in Atlanta. Um, and yeah, I never really got to talk to anybody properly about, you know, how to manage, you know, such a huge loss and then to come out of that and to build yourself back up again. And it was really just, you know, me wanting to, you know, be better again myself. And I think maybe it went back to my, my, one of my first coaches in Cove, Sean Kennedy. I know, you know, when I would have got injured when I was 17 year old, I can always remember him, you know, walking around the field with me and he'd say, you know, he said a great athlete will always come back. You know, you just have to give it time and you have to build yourself up again slowly. And, you know, I suppose if it, if it was more modern times, then I would have been probably able to pick up the phone to him or send him an email or have that communication and say, remember when you said this, you know, how can I, you know, apply that to where I am now? And, and maybe I did that in my own head, but there's no doubt it took probably a lot longer than it should have. Um, because, you know, we all know now that when you have issues and problems and, you know, setbacks that, you know, the more you can talk about it and share it with people, then, you know, the easier it is to, to deal with it and to, to push on and to, you know, believe that, you know, you, you'll get yourself back there eventually. It sounds like a, like a really hard time, Sonia, like just a really tough, sad, difficult period of time. It was, it was, it was pretty tough. Um, but, you know, it was one of those things I spoke, I think in many ways I didn't have anything else. So that was all I knew at that point. So I'd been, you know, went to college in America in 80, the end of 87, up on 91. Um, and then, you know, was on the world stage after the Olympics. And so it was all I really knew. And, um, you know, I just had to, make it successful I had to get it back because it was all I wanted so I think when you have that drive and that energy that you know you eventually will make it happen and you know as much as it would be nice to have had people to talk to regularly and I did have people to talk to on occasion but you know often I was in London and the people I was closest to were in America so people like Frank and Marcus and you know I would have talk closely to them in the summer months. But then in the winter, they all went back to their families. And I was still that kind of, you know, I was in a bit isolated then because I didn't really have, you know, that kind of winter support crew that people needed. Um, so yeah, I just had to work things out. And uh, 
I, I don't know how it, how I did, but every now and then, I think, you know, you kind of, you flipped a switch and things started going the right way. And, you know, the, the, the biggest thing for me after 96 was meeting Alan Story, my coach in London. And, you know, he just coached a group of, you know, all sorts of runners. So there was very few Olympic athletes. There was a lot of people who worked all day and came training on a Tuesday night. And, you know, I think just, I suppose, training in a kind of a normal environment rather than a high performance environment, it made it more fun for me and I enjoyed it. And, you know, I was able to get a lot of good work done um, without really standing out. Um, and, and that I suppose just that's always been part of my life is getting seeing the normalcy of everything rather than having to stand out and, you know, expecting more, but just to be, I suppose, treated as normal and then to blend in with with other people. I think probably as well, Sonia, everybody wanted more from you as well. You know, like there was after 96, it was you know, you were still the peak of your career and people wanted to see you doing what you do. Yeah, I mean, I suppose there was no kind of, there was nobody following behind me so closely to to take over. So, um, yeah, and it was such a high level. And I think even when I did have, you know, things didn't go quite so well, oftentimes they weren't that bad either. Um, that there was, you know, a great degree of hope um, to kind of put myself back together again. And, um, and, and it was, I suppose, a very positive feeling of support from, you know, people in Ireland, even from the media in Ireland. I know um, Tom O'Reardon, I found this, he wrote me a letter in 1997, I think it was 96 or 97. I think it was 97. And, you know, it, it was kind of like, it was a letter written not as a media person, but as somebody who, you know, cared for and appreciated what I did. And, um, you know, was making suggestions of, you know, what training I might do and, you know, just really trying to kind of, you know, check, you know, had I, do I need to do something different here or something I hadn't thought about? And, you know, I think when you get letters like that and and like I save things like that because you, you know, I don't know, they mean something to you, I think, when someone actually puts pen to paper and, you know, encourages you to, you know, keep to keep going and don't don't give up yet. Was there was there any doubt in your mind that you wouldn't you wouldn't get it back? Um, um I don't think so really. I think there was just any time where I just didn't enjoy going out for a run. The the purpose of it all was missing. Um and so I think I always needed to have a goal and a target to aim for. And so when I did start back training in 96 with Alan, you know, we aimed for, there was a road race in Hawaii that I had been to the year, the previous year. And um, we kind of said, okay, well, it's a nice trip. So, you know, we'll work towards that. And, and, you know, I think as the weeks went on, then I started to get fitter and I started to keep up and to run better in training. Uh, and these were all kind of immeasurable training sessions because they weren't on a track. A lot of them were on the roads around, you know, housing estates in London, in the dark. 
And um, so I had nothing really to compare them to except for the people that were around me and, you know, how much more comfortable I was keeping up with different people each week. And, you know, just I suppose when you start to feel like you're running better, then you do gain that bit of confidence in yourself again and you get more positive energy and you start to enjoy what you're doing again. And I think at the end of the day, it all comes down to that is, you know, as hard as it is to, you know, work hard to be the best that you can be, you have to enjoy that work. And, you know, I think all athletes who compete at a high level, they work hard and they sacrifice a lot, but they're not really sacrifices if you actually enjoy doing it. And you know, you know, everything that you put in, you know, is is leading to, you know, some challenge you're going to take and hopefully a reward that you're going to get. When you look at your career and everybody that you've met along the way, who had the biggest impact on you? Um, I think the biggest impact, I mean, it wouldn't be any, it wouldn't be one person. I think it would be coaches. The coaches in my life definitely had the greatest impact. And that started from Sean Kennedy um, and, you know, before him, Pat O'Halloran. And it was always this kind of, they were always bringing you the love of the sport and Sean was the first person who wrote me out a training program and so it was like something for me to follow and you know I did what I was told to do so it was a bit like homework <laughs> and you know you had certain things to do on certain days and you know then you would run a race and um yeah improve all the time I think the, the positive feedback that you get from your coach, but then also from the races that they pick out along the way to test you, um, just kind of lead you to have the, the belief in, in what you're doing and then also in the person who's telling you what to do. And um, I think Sean, when he used to, he explained training a lot to me and I probably didn't understand it all at the time, why I was doing certain things. But when I look back on it now, he gave me a deep understanding of you know, the, the training I was doing and the reason I was doing it. And I, I carry that through, you know, training throughout my life. Um, you know, it was definitely a phase I went through with Kim McDonald where it was a bit more intense and the training was more testing and it probably could have been a bit more balanced, but it definitely, you know, got me up to a higher level. And I think you can be really good as an athlete um but then you can plateau out and you need to work out how to get up to the next level um and kim definitely got me up there and it was all about you know getting out of your comfort zone and pushing the barriers as much as you could in training so that you know then when it came to a race there was nothing that you weren't prepared for um but you know there's only so much of that you can take mentally and physically and that's when i had to change and you know Alan was a much more kind of um I'd just a bit more balanced coach and it was more about kind of getting you fit and building up the endurance base and then just using I suppose that's when I did use my ability to to be able to race you know once I was fit when you think of what what kind of the athlete that you were, Sonia, and the athlete that, that you wanted to be and 
um, just the the goals that you had in life and look back over your performances and your big days or your favorite races. Do you think there's one performance or do you have one performance that just defines you as an athlete? Um, yeah, that, that's, a, that's, that's a hard question because, you know, I suppose every race has a story and it has like the preparation that went in beforehand. Um, but um, I suppose in, you know, even just looking at something like the World University Games in 1991, and I went there as a favourite to win the 3,000 metres and I got beaten. It was like a road race. There were so many people in the race and, you know, it was just a lot of pushing and shoving. And I just, I don't know, it was one of those things. I just didn't quite get it right. And then came back a few days later for 1500 meters. And that was a much tighter and competitive race. Um, so I think, you know, that really was a race that showed me that, you know, I, I wasn't just a distance runner, but I was also able to compete at the shorter distance and, you know, able to, you know, match it stride for stride with, you know, people in a sprint race um, over 1500 meters. Um, so I think that was one that, you know, it gave me a taste of different levels of racing. And I suppose that was when I first got noticed by a lot of people. And that was the year before, um, the Olympics in 92. Um, so I suppose in a way that allowed me to be confident about, you know, just getting into the final in the Olympics. And, and that's, you know, the, the big thing about the Olympics is that, you know, you can't think about the end result until you actually get through the rounds and into the final and you know then you you kind of forget everything that's gone before and you start again take every race as it comes is the the cliche I think that probably fits that one Sonia what about your greatest success what is it um let me see. greatest success um I, I think in, in some ways it was probably just the, the longevity of, you know, being able to stay in the sport for as long as I did, even though I, you know, I believe I could have stayed longer um, if I kind of didn't, I suppose, expect so much of myself and kind of was a bit more measured later in life. Um, but I think, you know, the ability to go to four Olympics and to, because a lot of the time, you know, just going to the Olympics is the hard part and getting there and just putting in, you know, it's like uh, four years of training to get there. Um, so I think, and then to finally get a medal, I think in Sydney, that, I mean, that was in many ways, that was, I suppose, tangibly the most successful thing that I did. But in many ways, it was even greater to win the world championships and then also to win the world cross country in 1998. Um, you know, so I think I would measure, I would put the world cross country up there equal with any uh, success I had because it was such a comeback story for me to be able to do that. Um, when most people had doubted that I would ever get back to that high level again. And I think that gave me the confidence then for the Olympics in Sydney. And when you think as well, Sonia, just about, I suppose there were uncontrollables really lining up on the start line beside people that there was questions about their authenticity. When you look back on that now and 
reflection and, and hindsight and all the rest, are, are you frustrated by some of the things that happened in races that you had no control over? Um, I, I don't actually think about it too much. You know, I think, you know, there's nothing I can do to change it. And even if I could, then what difference would it make? You know, I think when you move on with your life and you kind of leave those things behind and, you know, the sport is changing and evolving so much now that, you know, you can't even compare what I did to what people are running now because it's just changed so much. People, they just train differently. They race differently. Um, when I was racing, it was actually about racing. Whereas now it's, it's all about chasing times. It's, it's a different sport until it comes to the championship racing. And, you know, that's the most exciting time. A lot of the time you just switch off when it's time trial races because they're, they're not comparable to what was going on in the past. And it's just, it's hard to get your head around it because I feel like people, they train at such a level now that they know exactly what they're going to do when they line up. So there's no surprises um, until you go to the championships. And, you know, that's when the sport, you know, you see the sport for what it truly is. Do you think, Sonia, it will ever get back to what it was when you were racing, when John Tracy and Seb Coe and all those guys were, were on the track and it was interrupting news bulletins and there were crowds and it was like such a glamorous thing? Um, I, I think it's just too, it's too different now because I think the way that people watch the sport is different and so it, it can't go back to that if we want to have it accessible and to be able to watch it as much as we want to. And, you know, I think this past um, indoor season was fantastic. You know, there wasn't a whole lot of sport on and people were craving, you know, to watch live athletics. And we were able to do that, you know, on our laptops, you know, at whatever time we wanted to watch it. It was great. And um, wherever you were in the world, you could watch it. Um so I think the exposure of the sport is different and, you know, there's so many other sports out there that people are focused on that it's so easy to miss out on things. Um, so, I mean, I think we just have to take what we can from the sport and appreciate, you know, any results that we get and the athletes that are out there competing and, you know, believe that they're all training hard and doing the best that they can. Um, but yeah, I mean, there was, there was definitely, I suppose it was more, athletics became more familiar this past, um, I suppose, what would you call it, winter, <laughs> or early, <laughs> earlier this year. Um, yeah, it, it's different. I think you just have, you can't really compare it. I think we have to move on and not try to compare it because it's different now. And athletes um, promote themselves differently as well. And that's part of it. You know, you have to be able to sell yourself as well and to promote and share your story. Um, you know, there's not somebody out there going to be asking you the questions. I think athletes have to be able to tell their story alongside the achievements and success that they have. So, you know, whenever they get the opportunity to do it, then they have to just go for it and, um, you know, get the best exposure possible for their sport. And then, you know, it's everybody's competing against each other on so many different levels. 
It's pretty nice, though, to have experienced both those and seen what it was like in those days when there were um, athletics was one of the most popular sports and people were so interested in it and so interested in you. And then like we have the new era as well. Um, when you look back or when you maybe in years to come, Sonia, what do you think would be your legacy? Um, well, I, I mean, I suppose knowing what I know now and what I didn't know at the time, I suppose, the, when I meet so many people on the street and, you know, they still come up and shake my hand and thank me for, you know, what I did for the sport and for, you know, for women's sport and girls sport in Ireland. Um, I think to, you know, have been there, I suppose, at the start of that or, you know, along the way as women's sport was becoming more and more popular and more accessible, um, you know, I was a stepping stone along the way for girls to look up to. Um, and, you know, I think just to be a part of, you know, the great Irish sporting history of women's sport is amazing. You know, there's been so much, you know, reflection in recent time with books and documentaries. And, you know, I think when we appreciate what went before us so much more, like I didn't know that much about like Maeve Kyle and Mary Purcell and you know a lot of the athletes who paved the way for me I never knew their story until recent times you know when they now get honored and awarded with Hall of Fame awards and um, you know just I suppose appreciated for what they did that was so much harder back then um, I really just looked at the record books and saw the times and names of athletes who went before me, but I didn't know their story. So I think to be able to learn that now and then to be able to share my story as well um, and to continue that kind of involvement of women in sport in Ireland and to see it grow and to see so many women out there of all levels running around the streets, you know, particularly the past year, it's been absolutely amazing that women have the confidence to go out there and to look after themselves um, by just being active. Yeah, it's brilliant. And as well, just to have household names now in athletics to like Kira McGeehan and Nadia Power and Phil Healy and just seeing them and being able to watch them on telly. And as you said, hear all the stories is, is really, really brilliant. So Sonia, what's next for you? When, when will we see you again? Um, well, yeah, that's a big question, isn't it? <laughs> is that I haven't even started looking at, you know, how you could possibly get back to Ireland anytime soon. Um, but I hope, I mean, I would love to be able to make it back for this summer. And, you know, particularly with the Olympics coming on and the RTE coverage, that would be fantastic to be a part of that. You know, it, it's not the same for me to be anywhere else in the world, you know, watching Irish, you know, Olympic teams particularly um, take part and be supported, you know, on the national television. Um, you know, it, it, there's just such a love for the sport in Ireland that, and I suppose because we are such a small country and we feel like we know the athletes who are representing us personally, you know, on so many different levels that you don't get that same sense with athletes in Australia. You know, it's it's different here. They're, it's not the same, like, closeness and... Um, I, I'm not sure how you describe it, but it's 
it's like as if the athletes that represent Ireland, they belong to the people and to, you know, their friends and neighbours and communities. And everybody wants to be involved in supporting them. And I think to be there to share those stories and, you know, to see the success of the athletes, you know, I hope that I'll be able to be a part of that this summer. Yeah, hopefully, and anyway, hopefully, it'll all go ahead, Sonia. That's uh, I think what we're all we're all looking forward to having Olympic Games and having a summer of sport. So, Sonia, thanks so much for sharing your journey with us. I have to say, um, you were a hero of mine growing up, and it was just brilliant to see you on the international stage, making us believe that we could all be whatever we wanted to be. Um, I hope everyone enjoyed listening and watching. Please subscribe and leave a review.